Hello and welcome to another edition of Classical Guitar LP Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Powell. For this third episode, we'll be listening very appropriately, in my opinion, to a recording from 1970 entitled Julian Bream's Greatest Hits. It's record number 8106 out of the Westminster Gold Series label. I've noticed from some of the liner notes that they were affiliated with American Broadcasting Company or ABC. One thing that jumps out right away is the cover art. And there are a series of 10 targets from a shooting range on the front of the cover. It's masking taped to a wall. I originally thought that was masking tape that was put on the actual record jacket, but it's it's from the cover art. And uh, as you look at it, the bullet holes, the, the strikes are, as the shooter would say, high and to the right of the center target. So you wonder if that's a little bit of quick wit on the part of the Julian Bream team saying that these pieces aren't really exactly the greatest hits, but maybe they're near misses, something like that. Uh, anyway, it's <laughs> it's clever, and I, I think I don't know a tremendous amount about Julian Bream as a person, but it, he had a dry sense of humor, perhaps. In the upper right-hand corner, there is a square that's very notable, and it says, Please take note, this recording has been preserved in its original form. Its uniqueness can never be replaced, dot, dot, dot. Therefore, underline, we have not electronically augmented the rarity of the performances. And so a little more about that later. Uh, for the first side, we've got just a powerhouse of, of Johann Sebastian Bach. We start with the Bourrée from the Sweden E minor. Any classical guitar player that has studied for any particular amount of time has undoubtedly been assigned to that piece. And the way that Julian Brim interprets it is absolutely stunning and gorgeous. It's, you know, it's two notes. Until the very last couple of measures, it's it's two notes. Uh, counterpoint, each, each line is independent. And Julian just plays it wonderfully. Absolutely wonderfully. I think it's a really nice reminder, uh, like another piece on this record I'll talk about later, of taking a tempo that you are proud of and letting the music speak for itself. And so anyway, that's the opener. Then we have the prelude. I know it as the prelude in D minor, but Julian entitles it as it's entitled originally for the piano. And so the arrangement that most all classical guitarists use is has been transposed to D minor, but regardless, it is the little prelude in C minor by J.S. Bach. After the two Bach numbers, we have a duo of Fernando Soar pieces, Largo from the second Fantasia, and then we have a Rondo Allegretto from Sonata Opus 2. Both really remarkable works, and Julian Bream plays them with just such finesse and such... Um, such such debonair quality it's just it's just really done well beautiful sound out of the instrument and julian bring brings a life to some music that uh is just it's just hard to express in words we lost a great and powerful artist when julian bream passed away earlier in 2020 the first side is rounded out with three John Dowland pieces. John Dowland was a lutenist in England. On the back side, the liner notes talk a little bit about John Dowland and his uh, his his life they, in a condensed paragraph, of course. But anyhow, there are three pieces here. The Melancholy Galliard, Mrs. Vaux's Gig, and then one called Semper Dowland, Semper Dolan. So just quite a first side 
out of Julian Bream, Julian Bream's greatest hits from 1970. Please enjoy, and we'll be back to kick off the second side after the first side is over. Enjoy.
Thanks for listening to that first side of Julian Bream's greatest hits on Westminster Gold 8106. Undoubtedly, you also heard a little bit of difference in timbre from the Bach and Soar pieces into the Dowland. The liner notes explain that Julian Bream plays a, a different or higher pitched guitar for the Dowland tracks. And as most of you probably know, but maybe some of you don't, Julian Bream not only played the standard Spanish guitar, but he also really enjoyed playing the Baroque guitar. Also, I find it interesting, the very, very hard cuts that happen at the end of the tracks, they're almost just sort of just lopped off. And so anyway, a little quick remark about that. There is a liner note at the very end that says, a note from an unrepentant recording engineer. I'll just read it verbatim. You may have noticed that this record is not in stereo. It was recorded in England prior to the invention of the stereophonic record. Now, we could have faked it, remastering the original tapes, which are pretty good even by today's standards, and deceptively labeling the whole schmear as electronically re-recorded for stereo. That does have a reassuring ring to it, doesn't it? It wouldn't help the sound one bit unless you are a bass, room, bass boom lover who doesn't know that the lowest note on the guitar is an E just an octave and one half below the middle C on the piano. Instead, we decided to float this record on the market without any gimmickry. Maybe the public is ready for honesty. Besides, how do you divide one guitar into two speakers? So that's really a throwback into what was going on for the in-home stereo around 1970. You know, we have these consoles that really had one speaker, and that's that's mono is what's going on. And prior to that, you know, in, in the 50s when, when these would have been recorded. And so the recordings were made for those specific types of, I'm not going to call them instruments, but those types of electronic devices to play back. There was no reason to make these recordings in stereo because none of the items were playing them in stereo. So they didn't alter the tapes. They sort of went back to the mono recordings before it was cool. You can see that with a lot of classic rock 
remasters and things like that these days. So anyway, not to have a great big digression on something I am certainly not an expert in. The second side, we've got uh, Villalobos Prelude Number 1 in E minor. Now, the last episode, we heard Christopher Parkening's take on that beautiful piece, and now you hear Julian Bream's. Julian Bream was known for having sort of a daring approach to the way he interpreted the five Villalobos preludes, and I think that this prelude number one is probably the least of those daring attempts of his. Julian Bream has such a phenomenal technique, and to be quite frank, I'm a little disappointed that Recuerdos de Alhambra is not included on this record because I absolutely covet the tremolo that Julian Bream is able to produce. It is so beautiful. It's so symmetrical. Really, when I get a chance to hear a tremendously great guitarist, whether that's Sharon Isbin, whether that's Manuel Barrowaco, whether it's Julian Bream, John Williams, I always let those performers' recordings and live performances instigate me into trying to practice as hard as I can to be as best as I possibly can. I look at that and go, wow, they have pushed themselves. They are making a great musical product. I would like to do as best as I possibly can. So I take it as encouragement and I hope that I hope that others can do the same. It's just really, really exciting to hear great pieces played well by, by the greats, of course. For the second band, they have the Taroba Sonatina in A major. This goes back to a piece that was written in the 50s for Andre Segovia. Undoubtedly, Julian Bream was recording this to say, hey, I can do this too. One thing that I find really, really, really phenomenal about this recording, and I alluded to it before with the bourree, is the choice of tempo by Julian Bream for this entire sonatina. He really does not take it ever too fast. I have worked up this piece multiple times, and I always think that I started off too fast, especially the first movement, but undoubtedly the last movement as well. And it's one of those things that I think, when and if I ever do it again, I'm going to take the recording of the Sonatina in A major by Taroba from this recording of Bream as an example to, hey, slow down, let that music do the talking, and you just play the notes that are written there. Now, this brings up another point. <laughs> In the second movement, Julian Bream, at the very end, simply decides to play something that is not in the score. It's the harmonics at the very end, and I will let all the detectives out there figure out what notes they are and things like that. It's just quite curious. And the first time I heard this, when I was listening at prepping for this episode, I went, whoa, what is he doing? Because that's not what's there. It's not what's there on the score at all. Uh, what's on the score there is that you're supposed to play the last pitches are 12th fret harmonic for strings 6, 5, and 4 in drop D tuning. And <laughs> that's not what Julian Bream plays. Who am I or who is anyone to tell Julian Bream what to play? And it, it makes one wonder what kind of insight that Bream might have had into visiting with Taroba. You know, maybe he had some sort of a communication established with them and saying, hey, I'd like to try this. And Toroba said, hey, whatever. I don't know. Don't want to speculate, but speculation is a little bit of fun with that sort of thing. 
in the third moon of Toroba of the Sonatina, which is which is also a monster to play, and it's just one of those things. I, I look at some of these pieces kind of like maybe some people look at their golf game. You know, people who work on golf all their life, they have that, that, that idea of the perfect swing and the perfect game, and it's always on the horizon. They're always working towards it. They work very diligently at, at their game, at their craft, and even if, you know, if they don't play so hot one day, hey, there's always tomorrow, and we'll try for it again. I try to look at my own playing that way, and this piece is something that I look at that way. If I ended up, except for the different notes at the end that Julian <laughs> plays at the end of the second movement, if if I were to use that as a metaphor, I this piece, this sonatina in A by Taroba is certainly in that metaphor. So we end the record, the recording with... Uh, the Turina Fandanguilo and Julian Bream just plays it so cool. There is so much in his touch. I also want to offer up that for those of you listening out there, listen to the difference in the in the in sort of the color of the sound. You can tell that these recordings are 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 brought together from different sessions and put together on the LP. I think the LP sounds dynamite. It's just that you can tell that there's different microphones and different materials making the recordings. So all in all, absolutely amazing recording. Julian Bream's Greatest Hits from 1970. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I look forward to hearing the second side with you. And please join us for the next episode. We'll have that out shortly. And I'm thinking about doing another big, giant player like I've done the past three. So thank you so much for listening. Happy playing, and we'll see you around. Check us out on our social media pages for the podcast. It's Catching Steam and playing on a lot of different stations. So if you're hearing us out there, drop us a line and let me know where you're hearing this podcast from. Happy playing!
Thank you. 